Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bo. And this week, we could not be more fortunate to be joined by the maestro of minimalist 8-bit horror, the developer behind Faith, the Unholy Trinity, and several other bite-sized horror games. None other than Airdorf, the founder behind Airdorf Games. <laughs> Airdorf, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up? I like that. Say that again, maestro of minimalism. <laughs> maestro of minimalist 8-bit horror. <laughs> That's cool. I'm going to put that on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> there you go. This interview's already off to a great start. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're too kind. Well, we really, really enjoyed uh, getting to catch up on Faith this week and even going through, you know, on your Itch.io page and getting to play some of the little bite-sized uh, titles that you made in collaboration with a couple of movie studios. So I'm really looking forward to, you know, us getting to pick your brain about horror in general, Faith, and, you know, Maybe a couple of games that you've been playing along the way. Yeah, yeah, bring it on. My opinions are free <laughs> for the first 10 minutes. <laughs> All right, I'll make sure to start the clock then after 10 minutes. Yeah. So um, I guess as just a starting point, you know, what was your sort of first introduction to horror gaming and what was the title that really stood out to you? Yeah, I was just talking about this yesterday. Um, in my In my house, like horror content was kind of like frowned upon. Like my mom and dad, like we're not fans of horror at all. Uh, I started kind of getting into it around high school. So it was about that time when if I wanted to play like a scary game um, or if I wanted to like watch a movie or something, I would have to kind of sneak out of the house or like sneak it into the house, like <laughs> put the old <laughs> towel underneath the crack in, on the bottom of the door, you know. Oh, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I would play um, I would play Shadow Man for the N64, uh, Resident Evil 2 for the N64. I didn't have a PlayStation, I had a 64 and like an NES so my options were kind of limited, like Nightmare Creatures and stuff. And I had a PC, but it like couldn't run anything. So that, that wasn't really a thing. So yeah, uh, pretty much in high school. So that would have been, what, uh, like 14 years ago? No, no. More than that, it was almost 20 years ago. And so some of the first titles that I kind of got into were like Fatal Frame for the PlayStation 2, uh, The Suffering. What else? What else? 
those were the two like main ones. Oh yeah, Resident Evil Four, of course, that was like a big one during the high school days. And so I started kind of slowly, kind of getting interest in this kind of stuff. I did. I had no idea there was even an an independent games community that was kind of burgeoning online at the time. And I spent a little bit of time in South America. When I came back, a friend of mine at, at, at this was at university. He came up to me one day and was like, hey, "Have you ever heard of the Slender Man thing?" It's like, "What? What's that?" He's like, "Oh yeah, it's like this." It's like this creepypasta thing. I'm like, what's a creepypasta? And he's like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Slenderman is like the scariest things ever. And it's it's a computer game and people play it online and like they're screaming and crying and it's really scary. And that's how I got introduced to Markiplier, who was the <laughs> first YouTuber I ever subscribed to. And I, w- I watched his Amnesia, The Dark Descent playthrough. Yeah, that's a good one. I watched... <laughs> Uh, let's see what I watched him go through all the Slenderman games and the Slender clones, and then Five Nights at Freddy's, of course, which you know exploded him in popularity. While I'm, I'm pretty sure they were like mutually helping each other, like become yeah. extremely popular <laughs> at the time. And then around the time when they were like, a, so like what 2012, 2014, around that time, there there was so many like Five Nights at Freddy's clones. And like zombie crafting survival games hmm. that I started to kind of like fall off of like watching uh, indie horror content creators and kind of, but I, during the time, the years that I was watching Markiplier, I had this huge internal like mental library of horror games yeah. and what I, you know, I was in the back of my head, I was like, man, if I ever made a horror game and, and got it in front of like someone like Markiplier, or, like a YouTuber, this is what I would do. And this is what I wouldn't do, you know, based on what I'm watching. And in fact, there are, I kind of created a, like a scare profile for Markiplier, uh, <laughs> just cause I watched him so much. And that helped me, that helped aid the design of faith. In fact, this is going to sound kind of creepy, but there are certain scares in faith that I designed specifically to scare Markiplier, like personally, <laughs> which sounds a little sadistic, but it was, I guess I'll talk about this later, but it was part of my like marketing plan with Faith to directly cater to like content creators and Twitch streamers and YouTubers. I figured if someone with 10 million, you know, 20 million followers played my game for 30 minutes to an hour, like that's an hour when potentially millions of people are exposed to my, you know, to my game and stuff. So that was always my strategy, but yeah, that's kind of how my, and my interest in horror kind of evolved. It it was kind of dormant for a while. It was definitely started. I was definitely like exploring, you know, horror titles and stuff in during my high school years. I didn't even uh, I was making games when I was maybe 11 or 12, but it was it wasn't horror based and it was just, you know, kind of just kind of messing around and stuff. And then I didn't even think I wanted to make a indie horror game until 2014 when I played PT, which is, you know, which is and forever will be my all-time favorite horror game you know the ill-fated demo for silent hills and we didn't know it at the time lord bless and keep it f konami (laughs) and uh i'm still so bitter about it but you know what i think it's kind of i think it might be a good thing that it was kind of like a thing for just a little while and now it's this like mysterious you know white whale of of a game that you know all i have is my memory of it you know yeah, and it had that influence on indie horror itself. Absolutely. You 
you know, look at how many people wanted to step into that void and where it was left. Like, yeah, we can make this. We can do something like this. And I mean, there are entire companies that have been built up from following that path. Yeah. At this point. I, I'm assuming you, I, I think you're assuming Bloober Team. <laughs> well, yeah, Blue is, what Blue is a good example. Yeah, which is quite, you know, I suppose in a way quite fitting that they have ended up in where they are. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's how wild, how wild that they ended up with the Silent Hill 2 IP. I hope they know the burden yeah. that, I, I hope they realize the burden <laughs> that's on their shoulders. I, I think give, given everything we've ever seen from them, I, I think they might like the series themselves uh, <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. So I think, yeah, I think this will be the one. Yeah, I think this will be the one where they're a bit, maybe we should just listen to what the people who know what they're doing say as well. Yeah, you know, just so <laughs> balance what we do well with what other people do well. well so the, it's the, good. The current state of affairs when it comes to Silent Hill 2 discourse, I think that merits like a whole nother podcast. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, we've been there on this podcast before oh, yeah, as well. Multiple so, yeah. Times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, where was I going on before I went on the Bloober Team tangent? Oh, 2014, PT. Yeah, and it, it ins- you're talking about how it inspired, you know, entire studios. Well, it certainly inspired me, and I really wanted to make, like, a PT-like game. Um, I said, you know, I, I, I feel like I could, like, nail this. I feel like I could do this. But I didn't know anything about, like, graphics programming or how to use Unreal or anything. So I thought to myself, what if I go in the opposite direction and I make this, like, super basic low-res kind of Atari-esque pixel horror game and just kind of using my internal library of what scares me personally and what I've seen over the years watching YouTubers and playing games myself. I thought, you know, what if I just started with something really, really small? So I started with Faith. It wasn't called Faith. It was just this little demo um, of a guy with a cross walking around. And it was, for all intents and purposes, it was like a scary clone of the original Oregon Trail hunting minigame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except there was, you know, a monster after you. And I remember sketching <laughs> Michael, the the monster that's in the woods in chapter one, or the demon, more like it, in in like church one day. And because I was bored, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Jesus. And I was like bored and I was, I was drawing like demons and monsters and stuff. And I lost that original drawing. I'm, I'm, I'm always going to kick myself for doing, doing that. I can't believe I lost it. But um, yeah, it just kind of sort of happened organically. I, it went from the, like one screen to like navigating around the woods and I would bring my friends over to test it out and see if it could scare them. And I was getting some pretty you know, promising responses from them. So uh, I never had a story for Faith in mind. I, I literally made it up as I went along for like chapter one and chapter two. And then like I'd been working on Faith for so long during chapter three that like I, fans had to like remind me of of like pivotal <laughs> details of the story and, like wait 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 a minute a second wasn't wasn't john ward's wife named named karen not molly or like wasn't wasn't this character named this and not this or this date doesn't make sense on this note because john john got out of the asylum on this date so i've like literally had to be reminded about stuff like that <laughs> But yeah, it's been all fandoms can be like that sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm thankful for it. I'm, I'm, I I yeah, consider myself very lucky that I even have a fan base that, that keeps me in line, I guess. <laughs> I guess you could say. But yeah, I it's been a crazy ride, so I, I worked about 7 years from the time I wanted to work on Faith to the time that I put the Unholy Trinity on Steam, thanks, you know, mm. under the publishing banner of New Blood Interactive. And if you had talked to me in 2015 when I was just, you know, farting around on Game Maker, 
working on this this game that I thought could be cool. I I never thought in a million years faith would be as big as it is. I, I still refuse to believe that it's big. Like it just doesn't seem real to me. I don't know if that's an imposter syndrome syndrome or what, but I just it just doesn't compute to me. Like I'm I feel like I'm always going to be this like um this like nobody in the indie scene. But when I see people like write songs about faith or DM me telling me how playing faith like pulled them out of dark times in their lives, which is crazy because I'm like, I, I, th- I think the game would make it worse, but, <laughs> but <laughs> that's as I'm sure, for you, isn't it? It's yeah. A, yeah. As I'm, the genre, right? yeah as I'm sure you've um, probably discussed in, you know, on the podcast, you know, a lot of people find it therapeutic, like going, like consuming horror media and kind of cathartic. I certainly find catharsis out of it. You know, if, if the movie is like that good or the game is that good. Hmm. So it's been crazy, hmm. you know, getting approached by, you know, film producers who want to make a faith movie and um, just the fact, like the fact that I turned on Twitter the other day and I had a hundred thousand followers, like all that stuff is like, I don't know. In the end, all I want to do is make games that like scare people <laughs> yeah. and, and that are entertaining and that are, that are like cheap enough and like easy to run, easy enough to run on your computer to where, you know, I'm not like excluding a lot of people. I always kind of wanted to have that like, kind of down home you know super kind of home not homebrew but like you know homegrown you know <laughs> yeah i'm like showing up at the indie games farmers market with my stuff being like <laughs> i hope you like this <laughs> and i've got people who want me to make turn it into a million dollar franchise you know and sometimes i wish for um sometimes i wish for the days when i when faith wasn't as as recognizable and as popular as mm. it was, you know, cause there's less pressure and I didn't even want to have a publisher at first. I had watched a talk about how you don't need an effing publisher. That was the title of it <laughs> at GDC. It was a GDC talk that I remember pretty well. And when I was approached by David Szymanski about possibly talking to Dave, you know, in my head, I was like, no, I'm a man of the people. I don't need a publisher. <laughs> I don't need some sort of company or corporation sucking all the creativity out of my project. But you know, as as you'll um you know probably move on to other questions but like my experience with new blood was so positive that i'm I'm glad i took the chance and talked to them yeah i mean it's understandable when you look at what new blood does and how they operate that they they're not in it to be the flashy name they are just dedicated to the kind of games like this you know and that's built them up to be like the perfect kind of publishing house for games like yours and they seem as if, you know, they're not going to infringe on your creativity. Absolutely you know, not. To the degree that it kind of like perverts your original idea from it, which certainly doesn't seem to be the case in the majority of, you know, all the games that I've played that have been published by them. Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. That was definitely not the case as far as my IP. The minute I picked up the, like, the minute I called Dave or we got on a, like a Discord call or something like that, the first thing he said, the first time I ever spoke to him was, hey, we really love Faith and we think it could be a really awesome horror game. And he said that we, we've all, like, we've played it, I played it, scared the hell out of me, and we really, like, we, you know, we'd like to help you finish it. And I maintained complete, without going into too much detail, uh, I maintained complete freedom and control over my IP. You know, I, I decided who, who got to touch it, who got to contribute to it. And all the ideas were mine. Um, Andrew Holschult, who does a lot of the music for new blood games. And he, 
he would do this thing where uh, we would do hold our weekly meetings and I would talk about what I was working on. Like, yeah, um, there's this character and she performed a ritual where you do this, but she like took it a step further and, and like went way overboard with it. And now there's like this demon erupting out of her like face and, um, <laughs> and it like moves at like 80 miles per hour. And there's like, uh, there's 409, exactly 490, 70 times seven, uh, sacrificed newborn babies <laughs> like <laughs> like the spirits are like erupting out of her and stuff and I was like describing this and I've been working on faith for so long that it's like I was totally desensitized <laughs> to how this all sounded <laughs> and uh, it was just kind of like it was just kind of quiet and then Andrew speaks up and he's like hey Erdorf what the F is wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'd love to see the meeting notes from that and just people's <laughs> general reaction to that. Because, you know, like you said, when you're the only person that's been in this world for so long, it's like, oh, yeah, I got to remember that. Maybe uh, have a little tact in how I introduce the concept of all the, you know, baby uh, fetuses the and whatnot. Th- <laughs> yeah, the thing is, the thing is, is that I don't need, like, the atmosphere at New Blood is so, like, fun and mm. everybody gets along so well. You know, and decisions are, for the most part, at least in my experience, decisions are made with so much, you know, transparency, you yeah. know, and a, and a sense of good faith and respect and, you know, mutual respect and valuing our individual talents. I never felt like I had to, like, you know, like, is this too scary? Is this too extreme? And I don't even consider faith to be, like, extreme horror content, you know? I don't like a whole lot of, like, gore and violence in in horror media which sounds weird considering how faith is but uh, you know i just went with kind of ideas that i thought would be scary and the graphics you know don't really tell that whole story it's like the player's imagination and interpretation that kind of fills in the gaps but i i felt complete creative freedom you know pitching stuff and ideas dave and them like gave advice especially when it came to like production and marketing and every time i took that advice advice it was it went really well for me but yeah, for the most part, Faith was mine and, and is mine and continues to be mine and and just a terrific publisher. I I couldn't have picked a better publisher for that time in my career when I as yeah. when I did. I think that kind of helped with how it sort of became this thing bigger than it was, you know, and how it became like a product of the internet of this age, you know, in terms of how it's memed and <laughs> like yeah. and you know, it has all these, you know, tributes to it as you say with music <laughs> videos and like these deep dives and these people yeah. are so passionate about it and yeah you know, it's that's wonderful and i think new blood didn't, didn't somebody that. just make like a four and a half hour documentary on the story of it of yes three chapters yes something, <laughs> so when, something amazing like that yeah, yeah so it was the wendigoon interview and then he went and did like a yeah like you're saying like a three and a half hour video essay on <laughs> on faith and it was incredible to watch and it went, it went like it was like on the, it was like number five trending in video games category for YouTube, wow. which is crazy. Yeah. And <laughs> there's another channel, I forget what this kid's name is, but he does like entire college lectures on faith, where he has like a whiteboard and he has like he explains <laughs> everything really well. And it's incredible. I I never thought that people, and it makes me be like, oh, really? Did I? Uh, did I really make like a solid game or like a solid story here? Because there's this person micro analyzing it down to like every word on every note, you know, every detail. There's even someone who made a video about the, the color theory of the characters in faith, which is insane. Ooh. Cause I did not, 
I did not have any color theory in mind. I was just like, well, yes, you did. That was the plan. All oh, yeah, it's true. I, I don't want to just being modest. Reveal <laughs> myself as a total fraud. But like John Ward is blue because I wanted to have a black background. It wouldn't make sense to have a black sprite against it. Yeah. You know, and uh, the demons are purple because the the forces of chaos in the game, ancient domains of mystery are all purple. So I was like, hell, I'll just do that. And then blood red for for other types of you know yeah. spooks and stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just and then I used a uh, color palette from like Commodore sixty four ZX Spectrum and the Apple II just to kind of restrict myself. And you know the the more people hear about Faith, the more they will realize that it was the restrictions. You know, it was the one ninety two yeah. by one sixty canvas that I put everything on. You know, it was the text to speech voices and the um you know, and the limited color palette and the you know, chunky pixel music, I guess that really helped me maintain my vision, you know, stay true to it. Yeah. That's it. I mean, it kind of reins you in in a way that you wouldn't, if you had all these options and things to do, it might distract from the uh, sort of focus you would have gone with. So, you know, someone who grew up with a ZX Spectrum, you know, and had that whole, <laughs> era of games and started there yeah. it's like it that was one of the first things that really sort of connected with me with the game was just seeing this game it's like this is like the stuff i first you know chewed on you know the things that made me get into games and like it has that essence of them still you know even though it is modern you know a lot something that has happened i think in the indie space in the last few years where you know developers are getting really savvy to balancing out this retro idea of something and modernizing it where you yeah. kind of don't quite see where the, the lines are. You know, it's just blended into this lovely, wonderful blur of nostalgia and modern stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, we talk about that pretty frequently, you know, mm. when we do Horror Bites, which is our weekly indie um, showcase kind of where we each find a game on either Itch.io or another platform mm. um, and try to highlight stuff that stands out to us. And one of the things we always talk about is developers that are utilizing either an old school graphical style or just an old school look, but then they're applying more modern horror sensibilities, which, you know, I think Faith is a perfect example of that because clearly the game looks like it's from a very different era, but the subject matter and, you know, how gruesome some of the animations and de demons are, uh, are clearly things that would not have been on, you know, back in the 8-bit days. But it's that contrasting, I think, of time periods that really is what made it stand out because at first, you know, you see the graphics and you're kind of like, oh, like, this looks like Oregon Trail, like when I played back in the day. And then actually sitting down and seeing that, you know, it takes it one step further and it goes in a direction that is maybe I would consider like a little more extreme perhaps than what I was anticipating when I initially started the game. But then you very quickly sort of uh, come to understand, I think, your sensibilities when it comes to either developing a world or telling a, a very, uh, you know, singular story in that regard. Yeah, well, again, you're too kind. I uh, I didn't the like text-to-speech voices that are like you know people have memed the hell out of them it's dangerously easy to make faith memes <laughs> yeah <laughs> so especially since the wendigoon video i've seen a, a ton of stuff on like on like uh, youtube and stuff it's it's fun to see and i try to i try to watch it all and i try to comment on it all to let them know that you know i'm watching i think this is cool that they're they think my game is so special i guess i am um, Oh, what were you saying? I was going to comment on something you were going to say. Commenting on the contrast between the classical style yeah. look of it and the more modern sensibilities yeah. in terms of I never wanted to gameplay. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want it to be like a modern pixel game. 
you know, there are horror games that have that are like pixelated and stuff, but they're very they're very beautiful and advanced relative to faith when it comes to like resolution and and kind of the color palette and stuff. And I admire those games a lot. I wanted to go to the most basic style without going into like black and white Macintosh gaming, you know. Yeah. Although <laughs> World of Horror does that really well. I mean, really, yeah, that, really yeah. well. It's a, that again, just one of those games that just stood out instantly. Like I remember this era yeah. of games, and here is something using such a simplistic template and, and making phenomenal so stuff what he's doing with world yeah. world of horror and the fact that it's all I, yeah. mod like moddable and you can create your own custom stuff that's just so far beyond um it's insane yeah i really like the world of horror dev and his yeah. work yeah, yeah i'm with you on that one i'm definitely yeah. with you on that. and it's it's been great to see too that that game continues to get updated with support there was like a lengthy while where it was going yes. radio silent and it was kind of like, i was concerned is this going to be another one of those you know yeah i mean granted it was like oh i hope everything's okay and at the same time it was like i hope this is one of those projects that doesn't like just begin to kind of make a splash and then is one of those things that has to be abandoned for various reasons and then to see it have a resurgence with you know new content updates the modable stuff and then seeing you know a console port that's coming uh, later this month is just great because now you know you get to expose more people to it but at the same time hopefully more content uh, <laughs> in developing that world because it is such a you know whether you're talking about the visual style or the gameplay of it um, it really is one of those things that just jumps out at you and is so unique in a way that we just don't see that often because of you know whether, for various reasons um, but it really is one of those games that it's like man I want to play this more and more and I want more content for it. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's another cool game that I saw the trailer for it or maybe it has a demo where it's like, it's like kind of a sort of isometric or top down. Is it Holston? I don't know. It's like when you shoot or aim, it goes into first mm-hmm. person. Yeah. Yeah. And then yep. there was a game called Teneb- Tenebris something. It's an Argentine. St- yeah, yeah. It's an Argentine studio. And mm-hmm. um, I sent them a message how, saying how much I liked their their like concept and stuff because i think they're gonna they're i think they're really smart i think they're taking like an art style that um you know i i forget if they're actually inspired by faith i i think they might have said something like that or that that they at least knew of my games so like the pixel art which i think is really cool and then they're like tapping into like um you know how immortality did all that that fmv stuff Yeah. yeah um so i think it could be really really cool yeah. I literally just played that the other night. Yeah. That was one of those things that, you know, it takes you back to an older era. But then when you have that moment where the live action video cutscene kicks in, it completely catches you off guard, even though, you know, that is the sort of the buzz around that game is that uh-huh. it's doing that as a feature. But it still completely catches you off guard. It makes the scares just that much more uh, impactful, I think. And it makes you think about how they could take it down the road and continually evolve with that style and just make it continuously, you know, the, uh, the ace up their sleeve with scares. Yeah, absolutely. Now I enjoy, I enjoy horror games of all types. Like I've played five nights, five nights of Freddy's. I like port and click horror games. You know, I like, you know, flashlight simulators, you know, I'll, I'll play the occasional like unreal five, asset flip you know game with like the rtx and uh, a few of those yeah yeah actually i played one that i thought was really good recently uh it was called it's the alien one uh cordosis let's look that up check it out it's on itch it's um it's pretty dang atmospheric and it's got a really cool like ui and stuff there's like all the all the 
survival horror, like item management and note management is all done through this like diegetic little like gadget that just kind of organizes everything for you. It's hard to explain, but I thought it was really cool. And it actually, it has a bunch of physics based stuff to do like puzzles and stuff, but it's not like annoying, you know, Hmm. sometimes somehow they just, they kind of pulled it off without (laughs) making (laughs) the, the physics based stuff really annoying. But like, I'll play all kinds, but I'm always looking out for something that's that's got a completely, you know, a completely new like concept or style. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply to offer let's see i think last month yeah last month i played a game called that which gave chase on steam oh yeah yeah y'all got to check this out it's a game about being on a dog sled and um guiding guiding like a scientist Mm -hmm. guy through you know through the the wilds of the north it's not even horror based well it does they turn it into they turn this mechanic into a horror based mechanic but the the mechanics of steering the dog sled and also keeping it balanced so it doesn't tip over is really, really, really cool. And it's like slightly physics based, I think, if I understand it correctly. And the story is really cool. Like the mechanics are really cool. And there's even a part where you have to like, like pilot this dog sled for your life. So you, like, you really have to like dodge stuff and like keep it balanced and stuff, or you, or you lose or whatever. And the ending was cool. It was real short, but I was happy to play it. It was. It was a really cool, like, short contained horror game. That was probably one of the recent ones that I thought was like really, really unique and and really cool. Yeah, that, that's that's been like the greatest appeal of like covering like these micro games. You know, that are five to fifteen minutes most of the time as well. And it, and yeah, they, they they have so much into. It. I mean, I think one of the ones we found like really great this year was um, Tooth and Claws Incident at Grove Lake. Which is like about this sort of alien abduction story told found footage, but also goes into some more cinematic routes as well. So it goes to this tape of the account of someone being abducted and like this conspiracy about everything. And it's like, yeah, it's amazing how it all sort of came together. And it was just a really refreshing take on that kind of game, you know. It's like because you know, there's plenty of little found footage games out there that do the basic found footage stuff, 
but when one sort of play around with it, you know, it feels like a good medium to um, evolve found footage as a sort of genre. But that's the best part about those little bite-sized games that we were always trying to champion as much as possible because, A, they don't have the biggest audience, but I think more importantly in that, you know, they're taking an experimental risk that sometimes, you know, we do a game of the year episode every year and, you know, we've had these little bite-sized contenders that, you know, are up against some AAA titles and, you know, some of the bigger indie titles. And yet in the span of 20 minutes, some of these games have been more memorable than, you know, something I might've spent six or seven or 15 hours with uh, at times. And, you know, being 20 minutes doesn't make it uh, too difficult to fit into the ever, uh, you know, busy schedule. And yeah. Whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to send me the the link to Incident at Grave Lake. Yeah, yeah. And then, we'll send uh, it uh, in the group chat that we got going. Oh, wait, I just pulled up Tooth and Claws thing. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, and it's, it's so great that I think that getting into indie horror, you know, indie games in general, but especially indie horror, is more accessible than ever. Yes. You know, it's like stupid easy to make a game in Unreal. Game Maker is one of the most well-documented, uh, you know, scripting languages and IDEs ever. And uh, I still have faith that they'll smooth out the Unity thing, but like you can't discount how valuable Unity has been to the well, yeah, to the whole it. indie horror it's scene. It's what made the, such a big deal because you know, it's like so many people have grown with that, yeah, you know, and used it as the tools to make their career. So it's yeah, you know, someone's going to go and threaten that internally. It was always going to be a problem. Yeah, Hopefully, yeah. With what they've done, yeah, as you said, it should be okay. So, <laughs> well, we shall see. Yeah, I was like, I was like, no. Nah. No, if this isn't gonna fly, like they're gonna they're gonna dial the back dial, you know, they'll turn the dial back until we're like, yeah, okay, that's enough abuse that we can take. Yeah, we can live with that, you know. <laughs> but to your point, you know, the software and whatnot is more readily available than ever, and more importantly, you know, like you said, the documentation. If you go on YouTube, you can find a guide to basically anything, whether it's game dev or otherwise. So it's that type of thing where it's nice to be covering games, indie games specifically, in an era where you have such a large variety of voices and, you know, based on the size of the project, it doesn't feel like there's as much, you know, interference in people getting to express their ideas and, you know, their creativity mm. uh, and delivering things. As I said, that, you know, at the end of the year, we end up including a couple because they were so memorable. They were so profound in how they chose to tackle horror, whether that's from a storytelling aspect, a gameplay, graphical style. So it's just, you know, it's always a delight when we get to sort of browse those, uh, you know, itchio pages and whatnot and finding stuff that, you know, sometimes it has almost no views, or no downloads, no ratings on it. Um, and, you know, it's always great to kind of like find those little gems and then try to spread the word as much as you can. Yeah. Do you ever use the randomizer on itch? Yes. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. like randomizer beware, but you can, you can usually find <laughs> something good. Yeah. yeah, give it a few uh, a few spins, and then typically something something pretty good will pop up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, generally as long as it doesn't come up with the the usual keywords yeah, and uh, getting yeah, know, like it, no FNAF Shrek that sort of thing. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is um, just such a bounty. There, you know, it's like it is crazy that even in those sort of things that are just like, hey, what's something people find funny? put Shrek in a game, put this in a game, whatever. That, yeah, you still get some interesting ideas out of that. Yeah, so, And it gets people into making a game. So maybe you know, there's no wrong way to do it, which I think is you know, one of the best things about it. Yeah, I remember talking to the guy who made the Guy Fieri horror game like a while <laughs> back. It was like 
don't know. It had to be like eight years ago or something. Oh God! Why do I remember that? That's, that's weird. <laughs> it was a, it was a it was a thing. It was like yeah. you know, in the news for like you know in in the gaming press uh, for like a little while. Yeah, like it was. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love all that stuff. Um, super. I've I've. It's a super positive community, like indie horror, which which mm. would surprise the the layperson, I guess, or the uninitiated. But um, yeah, I. Uh, I've been really blessed to be able to make all these games and I hope that they make an impression on people. But yeah, I, I really, I really like those bite sized games because I do not have time to commit to like a long form game that'll take like 30 hours. The last one I did was Elden Ring probably. And I didn't even play it when it launched. I played it like a year and a half after it launched. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I just bailed on Starfield after 10 hours. Cause I was like, I'm not spending another 40 hours doing this when I could be spending that time allotment on so many other types of projects. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's not even just the bite size stuff, but I think about games like that, that could take, let's say conservatively 50 hours. Right. It's like, I could spend 50 hours playing perhaps 10 other little indie games mm. um, that were five hours a piece. And then at the end of the year, I have all these different experiences for better or worse. Um, and it's kind of like rewired the way that, and granted, it's just being older you get, becoming somewhat of an adult and having a busy schedule and whatnot. It's like, okay, I've, I've got this amount of time. I could either have three mini experiences that, you know, affect me in different ways, mm-hmm. or I could just kind of like grind through something. And that's, not to say like one option is better than the other, but for me personally, um, I would much rather just kind of like dive into the deep end of random indie offerings and just see what kind of, you know, speaks to me, I suppose. Yeah, you never know where you're going to find that little gem, you know. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. It's, um, I think we always liken it to the classic video store thing of just like going along the shelves, looking at the yeah. back of the case, looking at the front of the case and going, try that. Yeah, you know, so something about that looks interesting, and you know, sure, maybe the cover's better than what's in it, but that's the joy in discovery. And I think you don't get that as much, you know, with modern gaming because there is so much coverage about everything. I mean, even in indie spaces, if you're well, you know, educated enough in them, you know, you go on YouTube, there are entire channels that just cover these really short experiences, and like that's their deal. So, yeah, there's even that, but. It's still small enough, I think, where you can just you know, get a grab bag of things and just find something like really fun that you wouldn't, weren't expecting that week, which is fantastic to have when you've been playing games as long as I'm sure we all have. Yeah. And um, I'm always going to have a soft spot for like the indie scene. I'm never going to be one of these guys who's like F the AAA space, you know. I mean, there's there's <laughs> there's a separate argument to be made about like business and and business and like work standards and like environments and stuff in the triple a yes. space but it's like yeah man welcome to corporate life you know but it's a mm. it's an unfortunate thing but you know focusing solely on the products like there's plenty of triple a games that i really really enjoy like i love doom 2016 and doom eternal mm-hmm. yep um i'm a big Soulsborne kind of guy elden ring of course yeah and it's funny, I like like maybe seven or eight years ago I finally got a computer that could play like the latest stuff and I don't think I play that much. <laughs> I still play a little, <laughs> a little because of this games. podcast, Neil and I both just bought gaming PCs for the first time in a while and it was just like opening up our eyes to like what we'd been missing, getting to play certain things that were exclusive to PC. And then we I looked over my log last night and it was like 
the last 10 things I played have all been indie stuff that you could basically run on like <laughs> any yeah. decent PC. Um, yeah. But it's nice to have kind of just that, that ability again. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not, I don't feel restricted in certain ways that I used to, I suppose. Yeah. It's interesting. It's yeah. not that the computer, like good computer hardware has like not become more accessible, you know, it's right, just sure. that the stuff that's yeah. there is like, um, it's exciting when you get to upgrade and stuff. But yeah, I think like I, I played the, the RoboCop demo, which I really, mm-hmm. really enjoyed. If, so much fun. If you yeah. Liked, yeah, if you liked Terminator Resistance, you got to play this one. And it had, I looked in the graphics options. I was like, yeah, let's see what's here. And it was like DLSS. I was like, I can do that? <laughs> I thought that was just something the guy who does AI in games YouTube, you know, talks about. And I was like, oh, look. Oh, I do, in fact, have an RTX. Yeah, let's try it out, you know. And it was like. Yeah, I, I, I always feel like I'm. I'm going to be deceived by any computer I get. It's going to be suddenly <laughs> like, nope, you can't run this. Because, mm. you know, like I had a computer like back in 1997 and I used to get all the games that were out around then and were just about able to run them and it's always just on that right level. And then it just came to a point where, you know, games just exploded. You know, it was really hard to run anything all of a sudden. It's like, so yeah, ever since then, I've kind of had trust issues with any PC. Yeah, with, like, and the, <laughs> the, the freaking install sizes now. Oh my yeah. god! It's like I, insane. Like every like several times a year, Hunt Showdown does like a forty gigabyte yeah. <laughs> update oh, for know. all the new stuff that they do. You yep. know all the events and stuff. I hate it because yeah, because I always it's one of those games where I like playing it. Yeah, but you know, let's say we've discussed this when we did an episode on it. You know, like I'm half deaf, so you know, with the sound stuff, oh, the only thing man. I can make it worth. I know, yeah, but yeah, since birth, so it's not like anything different. But like. I have um, these Razer headphones out of the haptics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they sort of, they do a really good job of sort of recreating like the direction of yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Know, which is quite Yeah, cool. that is really cool. Uh, yeah. And so I can only really play in those really perfect circumstances, you know, where it's like I have enough time, it's the right time of day, the internet's doing all right <laughs> that day and all that. Yeah, and that's very rare. So, you know, I go through these periods where I can't have the game installed because other things come along. It used to be because reviews and stuff. You would just be having to delete stuff like that. So, yeah, when you get those big updates and you see it the next time, oh, do I ever Yeah, yeah. I, I only want to play a few time, games. Time, time to so, yeah. preload the, the update. Like, just, you know, I can always play it tomorrow, <laughs> just leave it on during the night. That's that's how I kind of... God forbid the internet takes a dip and then you got to wait three hours for <laughs> yeah, why an update. Yeah, and I really hate it when Steam. I really hate it when Steam starts out real strong, like two hundred megabytes per, megabits per second, yep. three hundred, and then I'm watching <laughs> it slowly go down. I'm like, computer, computer, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it's like they tease you with that performance. Yeah, and it's like fifty megabits per second, <laughs> twenty, ten, three kilobytes per second, and it's like you have thirty two <laughs> weeks left to, for this download. <laughs> I don't know why Steam does that. Got her. And um, yeah, but yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, yeah, Hunt Showdown is like, it's I do I do not have a love hate relationship with it like I did with For Honor. Like For Honor was like mm. detrimental to my mental health, <laughs> um, <laughs> even though I was like so addicted to the to the gameplay. But mm, Hunt Showdown, yeah. you know, especially since I play with friends every you know a couple times a week, um, I really really like it. Like I don't, there's not oh, a whole just... lot of like the at, they nail the atmosphere. Yes, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. to hell with historical accuracy. Like we, they left the era of of cowboys, you know, long time ago. We've got like a guy who looks like 
he looks like uh, Iron Man at the beginning of the first movie. You know, we got like this <laughs> yes. dude in a metal mask and like a trench warfare outlet. I'm like, okay, when are they going to bring in the time traveler, who, tra- traveler who's just like a dude with a t-shirt and like and like plaid cargo shorts, you know, and he just came back from 2005. <laughs> like, well, you know, there's the connection. They could always bring the crisis guy back. That's he's, right. He's straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. They could have. So, yeah. oh, I man. know that they're gonna do like a they're gonna do like a profit DLC, where it's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I hope they don't. Um, no, but I, mean, it, I mean, they're doing a whole other game. So yeah, that, yeah. Hopefully, they'll, they'll just keep them separate. So. What I thought was cool was that yeah. it was kind of a, a unknown thing for a semi unknown game for a while, and then it mm. like it took a couple years, but then it just exploded in as far as its online like presence and like server load and stuff. Yeah. So I'm I'm here yeah. for the ride, man. I I have some choice words about the the new the new weapons that they introduced in this latest update. <laughs> it's not a live service game if you don't have something to complain. Amen about. to that. It's pretty much. Well, that's yeah. the thing with multiplayer games these days, and how and you know specifically in the horror space now, it's like we're so inundated with them, and people are paying attention to the life cycle or the lifespan of these games. So. It's a shame when you have something like Hunt Showdown that comes out and is so strong, but it's has such a niche kind of appeal or hardcore yeah. appeal to it that it's not going to be the game that has explosive growth right out of the gate. But when you have a team that's as dedicated to this game and play, a player base that really gravitates towards that singular sort of multiplayer experience, there is a delay on that. But you know, once it's around for so long and there's a community there for so long it becomes kind of unignorable almost to that degree. Mm. And it's, it really is kind of like the, cause I'm somebody personally that doesn't play a lot of multiplayer. I'm mostly single player, yeah, yeah. but that is one of those games to Neil's point that like I come back to frequently um, over the course of a month. It's not like a daily thing or a weekly thing, but I definitely check it out a couple times a month. And it really does kind of like scratch an itch in a way that's so very unique that I can't really get anywhere else, which, you know, is what I would assume most people want to be said of their multiplayer games and you know even their single player games right yeah yeah hunt is such a high risk high reward game you know and, and yes, I, I, re- I, re- I recognize that a lot of pvp ve you know type extraction games are like that but uh you know not as intense as this as in my opinion i remember playing world war yeah, z think- back in like 2010 around then and being like holy cow this is great you know <laughs> and then you know i think I think Hunt just like nails like the atmosphere and the vibe of, of what it's going for, like just so perfectly. Yeah, you, you can tell you know the heritage they have as you know, a shooter company who did sort of dabble in freedom, you know, in those early days. But it's just so on a whole other level, you know, compared to what they'd done before, you know. And it, it, it's that old adage of you know that all the things that are successful, the things that people bitch about. This, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do that, it doesn't do that, and then you get the really intricate game that's all like got these great little things and this lore and backstory mm. and like it's got all these great mechanics, and that'll be the one that doesn't do as well. <laughs> but frankly, it, it does well enough that yeah, you know, at least in this case where you could easily have seen it going the other way. But I think you know, you, you may not like the comparison, but I think. When you were talking about, you know, getting that sort of multiplayer thing, you know, and sort of building a game to, you know, impress and scare yeah, him, yeah. you know, you were thinking of it in a different way to many you know, smaller horror devs maybe thinking at that time, you know, in trying to make a YouTube game. Yeah, yeah. You know, and 
And you know, this is the same case with this game where it's like it's a multiplayer game in a certain style, but it's doing it in a very respectful way to the player. You know, it's not holding their hand, it's not making them, it's not babying them through any of it, and it's really intimidating. But it's so much better for it because it, with patience, it takes you know, time to get into it. But wow, it is so refreshing and unique, and I think that's why of all the ones that have done it. You know, I think it's been the one that stuck. Yeah, with, yeah. Uh, Do you most. play a lot of multiplayer horror games? Hunt is like the only one that's like remotely yeah. dead. I, I just can't, I yeah. just can't see how a game like Dead by Daylight, which has been you know in rotation for so long, can possibly be scary mm. anymore. Like, I thought that the concept of yeah. it was scary, but like, it's become like the like meta culture of Dead by Daylight is such that it's. It's it doesn't seem to be about the horror anymore. It's like about the competitiveness. No, and it's stuff. comfort. It feels. I would say it's more arcadey from a gameplay standpoint. Oh, yeah. Where I'm not. It's not really to the degree that it's trying to necessarily be scary. It's yeah, more yeah. like the atmosphere is horror. But you know, a recent multiplayer horror game that I think has actually nailed the scare really well is um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game, which we oh, uh, yeah. covered when that came out. And it was a thing where we played the technical demo. And we're like, okay, this is faithful to the source material. It's a new spin on the asymmetrical framework of things where, you know, it's going to be three killers versus four survivors rather than just four survivors and one killer. So that's interesting. And the technical demo was promising. But once we actually got to sit down and play it, I was really surprised over the course of, you know, a month, two months that that like initial fear of, you know, Leatherface sneaking up on you or you just trying to, you know, sneak through the bushes or whatever, like that is (laughs) continually terrifying because it's not just you're avoiding one person. You're avoiding three people now, and they don't have the same kind of, I suppose, tells that something like Death by uh, Dead by Daylight does. And, you know, the tells that each of the killers have in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game, it's not like a big icon or they're not very easy to see, but it's like them muttering to themselves or them just like whispering or something, which, you know, the amount of times that that's caught me off guard after playing for, you know, a handful of months almost, like that's a testament, I think, to a horror game that's really nailed actually conveying mm-hmm. horror on a match-by-match basis and having, you know, fun gameplay to back it up. But um, I would say that's definitely, like, the exception, I think, to a lot of horror multiplayer games where after a while, kind of just become desensitized to it, which doesn't necessarily, is not a commentary on, like, why people keep playing or anything like that. But I just think that actually being scary for a prolonged period of time is something that's obviously going to be very difficult in multiplayer. So when a studio can nail it, it's quite remarkable. Yeah, yeah. I'm watching the trailer for it now. So <laughs> players play as Leatherface and and the the sheriff and the the like teenager guy. The, the first cat, the first movie's cast, right? Yeah. So they have Leatherface, and then they have the cook, and they have the hitchhiker. But then they've started to create new family members. Oh, sweet. Um, which I believe was in consult with the grandpa. Um, yeah, just kind of sits there. The grandpa. He has the unique finger sucking mechanic. Yeah, <laughs> that gamers crave. He, he's a totem basically, and you have to like feed him blood to level up, and he'll call out uh, survivor locations and things like that, which is a pretty cool, just kind of like utilization of the family. You're obviously not going to play as him running around with a hammer, but to incorporate <laughs> him in a, a major gameplay facet was again one of those little touches that we look for when we're covering these types of games because we want to see how faithfully they can obviously adapt source material to justify adapting it in the first place. 
but not just having that amount to, you know, a controllable character. How can they kind of expand on that? Because otherwise, you just end up with a bunch of horror multiplayer games that utilize IPs, but then they utilize them in the same way, kind of. So it was nice to see little touches of originality like that, I think, with the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll have to check it out. I remember playing uh, around the time that Fant... Was it... Phasmophobia was pretty popular. There was a game called Devour yeah. that I played. I played it on stream with a couple of guys, and I thought it was kind of scary, but then it just kind of... It wasn't competitive, right? So it was like PvE. Hmm. So I think you can mm-hmm. get away with a lot more like horror stuff in PvE, but PvP where it's like... Yeah. You know, in Dead, Light, yeah. Dead by Day- it, it, Daylight, you can have like a, a really friendly Samara or Sadako who just like lets everyone win, you know, for the experience. It just kind of sits there, you know? <laughs> And then yeah. it's like it becomes about the meta game rather than you know the core of what it is, which is I suppose natural when you've been going seven years, you know, and you haven't changed much about what your game is. It's going to be difficult to keep mining the horror side of it. You are going to get that sort of development, and the only way you can really beat it is to keep changing the game, which is difficult. I think if you're going to yeah, like that, especially as a action. gamer, I dream of getting teabagged by Pyramid Head, you know, in Dead by Daylight. <laughs> is Pyramid Head even in it? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Afraid of showing my I ignorance. think he has to go by a different name. Executioner, just for the I think, right? thing. Yeah, okay. there you go. Yeah, yeah. I think they do that for all of them, though, to be fair. They, they have a, another name. Sort it's of thing, like, but, I thought it was yeah. their, like, monster type. Yeah. Mm. To be fair, there's yeah, probably a so. whole community of people that are super into the idea of him teabagging them. So, uh, <laughs> probably not far off. Welcome to the Pyramid Head teabagging during Dead by Daylight subreddit. There's probably, yeah, please there's read probably the rules before you post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. Well, yeah, I um, I don't I'm I'm kind of like you, Jay. I, I prefer I I much prefer single player experiences like in general over multiplayer. There's a couple multiplayer games that I thought were were pretty good this year, but uh, yeah, I'm mostly on the lookout for those like small, bite-sized, you know, self-contained horror games. I really liked your your video store analogy because I'm going to sound like a cantankerous boomer here, but <laughs> sorry, right. you're not the only I grew up. In, yeah, I grew up in the days where you went to the you went to Blockbuster or the video store or or Hastings. If any of your listeners remember Hastings, but you know, you'd go, you pick it up, you buy it, and then you brought it home, and then you played it, and then you finished it. You know, or you bought the game yourself and you finished it, and then you either either replay it to you know have it, experience it again, or you know you you move on to the next one. You know, no hard feelings. You know, there was no such thing yeah. as the attention economy. You know, no one was talking about that in 1994 when I was a kid. You know, <laughs> so when you have all these like live service games or you know this this weird it's just so weird this concept that you don't actually purchase games and to own them it's like a license to play them for as long as they mm. f- see it fit to have it on their storefront and of course there's boxed yeah. games you know physical copies i got a buddy i got a buddy who's like really into physical copies and i i i envy that he apparently has all that money to to keep up with all that stuff <laughs> and uh, <Yeah. laughs> oh by the way i'm working on a physical copy for faith for the switch release or at least we're working oh, on oh nice yeah. yeah hopefully we can Fantastic. get some deals going on that dave dave's been traveling for so long that this year that like he's <laughs> never home and stuff so we have to like catch him in the five minutes that he's like home making a sandwich before he like goes on another flight across the world <laughs> 
<laughs> I was going to say your buddy's probably hurting now that, you know, most of those PC boxes are just a steam code yeah. or something like that. And it's the first time that that happened to me and I didn't, you know, read the box and where it says on the back, like there's just a code. I was just like, this has to be a mistake. And like took it back to the store. <laughs> this was like years and years and years ago. But it's the type of thing where they're like, that's just the way it is now. They were laughing at you in the in the GameStop break room that day. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I'm extremely oh, worried what the the crew at GameStop thinks of me now. <laughs> <laughs> They've got your photo. They got your oh. photo on the CCTV. Is like this is the this is the total sh- maroon that 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 <laughs> brought back what he thought was an empty box. I'm just kidding. That's 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 like totally valid. And you know, you can't deny the collectible value of those like cool box sets and stuff. And I don't think my friends as much yeah. of a purist for like for like. Um, you know, ownership of the things that you purchase when it comes to media as I am, I, I kind of, it gives me conniptions sometimes how like, you know, you don't really own anything. <laughs> that's a broader, no, that's a broader, sick. broader conversation, <laughs> I think. But in where, when it comes to indie games, you can usually just download it, you know, off of mm-hmm. itch. And um, one thing about the guys at new blood that's is that it. they all, but, they they don't encourage piracy, but they're like totally fine with it. You know, I think they're mm. they're um, or at least the the public image is that they're fine with it. You know, because they never want to be one of these like, oh, we're gonna sue you at the drop of a hat if you even have a character named John in your game. You know, or uh, <laughs> if there is a character in your game that's even remotely purple, we're gonna sue you for copyright infringement. You know, <laughs> we're, like New Blood doesn't want. I don't think they want to be seen that way, and so they they kind of have this like fun attitude about piracy, where it's like we don't encourage people to pirate games, but if someone pirates a New Blood game and just like publicly says it, we'll be like, hey, you could have just asked us for a Steam key, you know, and <laughs> uh, and leave it at that, you know, and like Faith the Unholy Trinity is up on the Internet Archive, and it's like embarrassingly for them hard to for a con- for a creator to get their stuff off of their website you know hmm. and uh so you just kind of take it in stride there's only like 20 downloads i can live with that they could live in a country where they're not allowed to purchase it or it's like stupid expensive because of you know like the economy in argentina yes. is such that like faith oh, is probably yeah. like an entire month's salary or something like that at this point yeah i've had that conversation with a couple of guys in games media who live in Argentina yeah. just the stories they tell me about the stuff and how it costs is just nuts. yeah I, <laughs> I feel for my hermanos down in in Buenos Aires in Argentina it's it's rough when I was there when I lived I lived in Buenos Aires for a couple of years it was like four pesos oh, wow. to the dollar back in like 2010 2011 we went there to visit in 2015 and I think it was like 14 pesos to the dollar and you had to go to those little change guys you know that you saw on like Cache Florida and stuff <laughs> like in the big shopping centers they're like they're like cambio, cambio, you know, and then you walk up to them and they'd like lead you into a dark alley where they got their little change house and stuff. <laughs> now it's like what's like seventy pesos to the dollar now, and it's just going up every day. I I hear that they're just buying like people are just buying cars because you know for the the because that's the value of it like that day and the next day their money might not even be worth half a car tomorrow, and I just God that's just so scary. I feel for them. I live with my best friend who's from Argentina yeah. and the horror stories that I hear from, you know, family that's still there and whatnot that he relays is just like crazy. Ask, it's crazy in that regard. Ask him about the ask him about the the COVID numbers in the Vichas, if you know what those are, if he's told you about them. <laughs> yep. I've heard I've heard some uh, some stats and it's uh 
it's something. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I was on a podcast with a bunch of uh, Argentine guys, and we were all speaking Castellano, and it's been so long since I've been, <laughs> it's been so long since I've spoken it that like trying to maintain like a an hour an hour and a half long conversation with these guys in 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 a second language. I was like <laughs> physically exhausted afterwards. I was like trying to catch my breath, and they were like, "Hey, if you want to take a break, or if you just want to speak in English," I was like, "No, I gotta do this. It's my you know my Saiyan pride. I have to speak this language that I learned at one point." But yeah, mucho respeto. Um, you were talking about piracy, and it's not a complete comparison, but you know, to your credit, I was listening to the soundtrack for Faith a lot mm. this week while I was, you know, writing or doing this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the people that had been re-uploading the soundtrack on YouTube was in the comments and was just like, "Oh, I really hope that you know, Airdorf or whoever uh, doesn't either pull this down or ban me or try to sue me or this or that." And then you popped oh, in that's the comments the one I or like. On. Dude, don't worry about it. Like, I'm just happy that uh, you're enjoying it or you said something to that effect. Um, but I thought that was really cool. And I think that to your point, when you were talking earlier a little bit about, you know, the indie scene in general, which could be very easily viewed, um, I think maybe perhaps through our typical lens now with which we look at, you know, movie culture, yeah. game culture and whatnot, that could be viewed as a community that might be super into gatekeeping. Oh, I've discovered this and anybody else that's discovered this or that, it's like they're playing catch up kind of thing. But Typically speaking, when we are, you know, covering indie games, talking with people about indie games, it is the segment of the video game industry as a whole, I think, that is maybe the more tame, I suppose, might be the way to put it in terms of discourse, in terms of, you know, sharing information and news about that. You know, one of the things that we uh, frequently see on Twitter for uh, Safe Room is just like people that are so thankful in the comments that say like, oh, thank you for sharing where we can even find these games and these things like that. Um, and just like sharing their experiences with certain games, that we, you know, whether we've recommended them because we covered them or we're just retweeting something. And, it, you know, it's the type of thing that, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, when you were thinking about indie and AAA games, it was kind of like, you know, uh, I guess, you know, indie is not really this thing to be taken seriously. And if anything, it's been the, uh, you know, the community, <laughs> I think that uh, has, you know, the more impassioned people, I suppose, is the way I'd put it. Well, you know, I, I illustrated how it started for me, like when, you know, it was my friend who came up and was like, hey, have you heard of Slenderman? And I I didn't know anything about that world or the current, pheno- you know, the, at the time, the phenomenon of, mm. of Slenderman and like Marble Hornets and all that stuff. Nowadays, it's like impossible to not, you know, find something because we have so many resources and stuff. Mm. I But it's like, I don't think we're ever going to have... Uh, kind of like a moment. I don't know. So, maybe I'm just being cynical, but I thought the <laughs> moment when when you know PT showed up on the PlayStation Store and it was like this mysterious game, and there were like rumors about what it really was and what you can do in it. And it was like, how do you beat the final puzzle? Oh, you have to do this. You have to say. You have to whisper Jareth into the PS4 mic. Mike, you remember <laughs> remember all that stuff and how two zero four eight six three was some sort of. Uh, ARG coordinate, you know, that you're supposed to go to, or it was someone's birth date or something. And um, there's still stuff about it that is mysterious that people don't know. It's like a total gaming mystery, you know, and I mm. think they're going to be under p- perpetual NDA to where we never hear like the full truth about what, what, what was going on yeah. there. And I kind of, I kind of like, you know, I kind of, again, I'm a boomer, but I kind of miss that, you know, when it was kind of like, 
mysterious and stuff they were like stuff that you stumbled upon and and you know gossiped or like told people about like word of mouth stuff but at the same time i'm really thankful that you know the horror indie horror space especially is is really um accessible now and there's so much stuff Hmm. it's it's like a whole different world you can just kind of you know inundate yourself in it's very easy to get lost in this kind of pool of seemingly never-ending new titles bite-sized experiences and whatnot and more often than not, you know, you're always going to see things that latch onto trends solely to get numbers or downloads or this or that. But, you know, more often than not, we end up finding stuff that is very unique in either storage trying to tell or presenting ideas in a new way that's um, exciting, terrifying, entertaining, what have you, whatever buzzwords we want to attach to those yeah. things. But um, <laughs> it really is the type of, you know, space that... and. You know, we've primarily been talking about indie horror, and it's not that to say like, oh, AAA is depleted with horror ideas or you know, good games, which is obviously not what we're trying to convey. Yeah, but, yeah, of course. Um, it's it's nice to kind of just highlight these titles that don't have nearly as big an audience. You know, mostly because they don't have a marketing budget or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it's just the type of thing that we really really enjoy. And of course, you know, getting to have people like yourself on to chat not only about their projects, but you know, what horror and indie horror and what's so special about it. And we kind of just get to, you know, ruminate on why it is such a special space to keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah. The last thing I want to say is that I play this game called The Final Pin on itch.io. And then I think I think at the bottom it says it's developed by like a 16-year-old kid. And like to that kid, I just want to say like, keep going, man. Like <laughs> I loved The Final Pin and I can't <laughs> wait to see what... Oh, Geordie Boy. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Oh, okay. We know him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we've, we covered some of his games. One of his he, games was one of our... Uh, last year, I believe, was on our top 10 games of the year. Really, of really. experiences yeah. that he made. Which one was that? Um, the Shopping List, I believe. Oh, okay, I'll check that out. Yeah. 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 And Broken Fury was good as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah it looks like he's got a Patreon up. So, you know, like, I hope he gets the support that he's looking for. Like, um, I thought that, I thought the final pin was, like, really cool. I was really impressed with his work. And, um, yeah, so I guess the bottom line is that I love being in this community. And I, I consider myself so lucky and so blessed that I made a title that happened to resonate with people. And I yeah. get I get fan mail from both devout Catholics and atheists and everything in between. And I get hate mail from, <laughs> you know, <laughs> from fundamentalist religious people and, and, uh, and also atheists for several different reasons. And I, that's kind of how I wanted faith to be is, is some, that, that something is that made you think, that I guess. Perfect. So I, yeah. So yeah. thank you so much for the, for the convo. This was great. I, I hope I've got, I've got one other project that we're going to hopefully announce and launch a demo for this month. And sorry, Dave. And uh, I've got another <laughs> project that we uh, are working through a publisher, a different publisher with pretty big publishing opportunity. And assuming everything goes well with like production, uh, like budgeting and scheduling and stuff, and they sign off on it, we hope to hit the ground running with that in January. And I'm also going to have enough capital to like hire people to like help me make these games, which is which is crazy and a little scary, but I'm. <laughs> it's they're opportunities that I wish I would have had when I was, you know, if the if the roles were switched. So I'm happy to the next step. I'm happy to do yeah. it yeah, just, and and you know explore and invest in other people and, and talent. So thank you so much. I hope to make games that scare people and entertain people for as long as I possibly can. And uh, I think my only social that I'm really active on is Twitter. So that's just at Airdorf. Please don't go looking for me on Steam and, and Discord. 
<laughs> just Twitter, please. It's about as much as I can handle, especially since I have DMs open. <laughs> well, we will certainly keep our eyes open for any updates on these new projects and whatnot. And uh, yeah, everybody, if you haven't uh, picked up on the fact, highly recommend Faith and getting to check out uh, you know that in the uh, Unholy Trilogy on Steam and whatnot. And yeah, man, thank you again. We look for, hopefully can have you back on in the future sometime and chat uh, about what you have maybe in the new year. But uh, yeah, this was a blast. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Anytime y'all want, want to have me on the show. I'd love to. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can follow our Twitter account for Horror Bites also at Horror Bites underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And last but not least, you can email us at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.